There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hey, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is the show where we talk about decarbonizing value chains and we focus on freight, fuels, and energy. I'm pleased to welcome you back to part two of our series with Transporion and guests. Last week, I had the pleasure of hosting Alan McKinnon, professor of logistics at Kuhn Logistics University, Dr. Louise de Tremarie, who's a transport advisor to the European Parliament, and Serge Shamshila, who's the head of ecosystem at Transporion. Now, we spent a lot of time diving into the what and the why behind sustainable freight ecosystems. And today, we're going to dig way into the weeds and talk about how we actually build that out in practice. So I hope you enjoy the show. There's not a switch any of us can flip to solve this problem. And we don't yet know what the sustainability needs of the future will be. And so establishing a mental framework and a guidance where it is an iterative process, where progress is perfect, not the other way around, is such a valuable lesson. Um, so thank you for, for mentioning that. I think we'd be remiss not to maybe um, make that practical for some listeners to say, look, if you're a trucking company in Europe and you're not already measuring your emissions, what should you go do? <laughs> So as you mentioned, the the survey that um, we do at my university and the Smart Freight Centre with Transporian and the latest uh, survey suggested, I think 59% of carriers in Europe now suggest they have a capability to measure their emissions, their carbon emissions. But then when you drill down on that question to ask them if they're able to measure them at a disaggregated level, that percentage falls, I think, to about 25%, right? Um, so so um, there is as yet, um, a lack of ability, really, to, to measure emissions. So there's a need um, for more advice and education to companies on how they should be doing this. I mean, it's not all that complicated, you know. If you're a small operator, um, you know, you're burning fuel, uh, you, you can check how much fuel you consume, you can then apply standard emission factors, and it will give you a, an estimate. The hard part, then, is... Um, disaggregating the data by customer or by consignment. Uh, that, that's where the challenge exists. But there are now a lot of software tools available to help companies do that. I mean, Transporting itself has its uh, carbon visibility service. Um, th there's Equal Transit. There's a Green Router here in Europe. Um, so that th there is support available to these companies to help them to get a handle on their on their carbon emissions. Yeah. From my, from my point of view, Allow me to say that bluntly. Uh, how can a company uh, say claim they can measure their emissions if they cannot make it uh, granularly bottom up? Then, then uh, we get exactly there where we are today to guesstimation. Uh, and uh, we have seen we have seen uh, records where companies have been deviating in the calculation of emissions by up to seventy seven percent on the same vehicle on the same route, on the same transport, just by applying different numbers. Uh, but the problem, of course, starts, uh, has, has different, uh, different uh, sources. One of them is uh, uh, the, the framework in terms of uh, standards to be used, but uh, more problem lies in the quality of the data. Uh, so, like as of today, we have the, the GLEC framework, which 
seems to be the highest standard to calculate greenhouse gas emissions. But still within the GLEC framework, we see, uh, I would say, average differences of 45% if you let five companies calculate the same transport. Uh, and that's, to be honest, that's just guesstimation. And you, how can you manage something if you have such differences in the calculation? Uh, but the problem uh, will be will be carried on as we move to the new isonorm. So uh, February or March next year, the new isonorm, the fourteen oh eight three, is going to be finally published. the The draft is already available, and you can download it for uh, some forty US dollars uh, from the internet if you're curious to see what is in. But this problem of the data won't disappear. Uh, that's the main thing. And the problem of the data means that uh, some companies indeed don't have the data uh, under control. The large logistic service providers struggle with the data because they do not conduct the majority of their transports on their own, but with subcontractors. And then they again have this data problem. And uh, the data problem, of course, has, has uh, again, other sources, lack of trust, uh, uh, people are afraid of transparency. Uh, they are afraid of sharing data. A lot of people claim they would share data, but until they have to do so. And then, then the whole effort is uh, disappearing from one moment to the other. So getting granular data, data you can trust for a transport, I think this is the main challenge to make that happen. And um, actually... Uh, Luis has in the beginning referred uh, to the Green Freight Package, if I remember well, which the European Commission is going to launch uh, something like March next year. In in the Green Freight Package, we have a chapter which is called Count Emissions EU. So this refers to all uh, uh, emissions from transport, both uh, passenger transport and freight. And uh, this uh, Count Emissions EU has come up with three goals. The first goal is to limit that guesstimation to the extent possible. Uh, and uh, actually, you might, uh, I, I, I might quote Peter Drucker. Uh, he is actually, he, actually, he was born in Austria, same as me. <laughs> and he was is always quoted to have said, you cannot manage something if you cannot measure it. And this is just perfectly true. Uh, with a 55 or 77% difference between uh, in the measurement only, there is no way to manage anything. I, I even wonder how you can commit yourself to any science-based reduction target if you, if you do so. The second goal of, of uh, this uh, uh, Count Emissions EU is to create, create a baseline which they can apply for every kind of taxation, including the carbon border tax, which is going to come into force as of 2026. So um, also um, uh, ex uh, transports of goods from, from the States to Europe will be taxed accordingly. Um, and the third uh, goal is to allow better decision-making based on reliable data. To picture that, you have to envisage that um, you sit in front of a, one of those standard tools for greenhouse gas emission calculation, which are typically using industry default average. Hopefully granular, hopefully science-based, but still industry default average. 
What you see at the first glance is you see a couple of suppliers, if you're lucky, and you see, okay, they all look different. They have different uh, uh, carbon dioxide intensities per ton kilometer, which is the main KPI there. Hmm? Wonderful. You believe you can message, uh, man manage to, uh, to reduce your own emissions by knowing that. You might increase business with the one provider. You might reduce business with the other provider, shift some, some modalities, and so on and so forth. Now, you have the wonderful idea that you drill down to the same corridor. So you don't look the global uh, picture of the emissions. You just want to see, like, from California to, to um, uh, Colorado, right? Suddenly, all your suppliers look the same. Why? Because these emissions have been calculated by industry default average. And per definition, then the outcome is the same on, on the same corridor. So this is totally useless. Therefore, the commission uh, uh, is uh, trying to provide a guideline, probably a regulation, uh, which... Uh, should enable us to use a European Union label for the calculation uh, of uh, greenhouse gas emissions from transport. Um, and uh, this uh, proposal, which is already uh, under final negotiation within the Commission, is uh, assuming a strong prioritize, prioritization of primary data uh, and make all these uh, industry default average uh, data calculations very, very, very unattractive, which makes totally sense, total sense to me. And maybe I should explain what is primary data. Primary data is data directly from the vehicle, from the typically the telematics of the vehicle can also come from other sources. And that's basically the energy slash fuel consumed for a certain transport. Uh, and uh, also the type of energy and the sources of the energy. So we can determine exactly using that uh, the carbon emissions from the transport and all the guesstimation is gone. So now the problem is how to get to primary data and how to get to that amount of primary data. And that's a challenge, of course, we have uh, undertaken at our end to prepare our own uh, calculation tool to consume primary data and to foster the uh, integration of primary data. But at the end of the day, you need to find people sharing this primary data. If people say, according to GDPR, I have the right not to share it, you're finished at that point. If I may, search and bring it back to, to also Tyler's question, um, I think data is one part of the equation and you need good data to make informed decisions. But I think the other part, which is still missing and which we haven't addressed here yet, is the mental shift that is needed. I'm coming in from a policy perspective and your question, Tyler, was on concrete measures. But if I look at all those different policies coming into place, one thing is very clear to me. We're going towards a phase out of fossil fuels. And if you are staying within those uh, technologies, they're going to become very expensive. And the longer you wait, I mean, the more expensive it's going to become. So... Serge, indeed, we need good data and we need good visibility. But what we also really need is a mind shift in this sector. And you both know this of me. Um, I'm a big fan of model shift, <laughs> especially looking at rail and inland waterways options. To give the listeners a little bit of insight into who I am, it's actually Alan's book on green logistics that got me into freight, <laughs> that got me into uh, 
keep going onto uh, into this topic. But actually, what I what I really find important is that we push the sector to really pick up these model uh, shift ambitions, because without men- the mental shift that is needed, together with good insight on 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 the data and on how many emissions. Uh, originate where and to which mode. I think those two need to come together. And search all your points of trust and collaboration, I think, still hold valid uh, on this point. I would chime in there and say complete, completely agree that the levers that we can pull are driving us towards this greener future in freight. I would love to lean more into I always want to operationalize the solution and understand how listeners can actually take this and say, okay, if this is the lay of the land, Now, what do we do now that we have financial incentives and regulatory incentives pushing logistic service providers to provide greener solutions? You know, maybe, Alan, I'll kick it over to you and say, what what are the challenges that constituency is facing in doing this as fast as possible? Okay, so just picking up on on one lever, you mentioned, um, Louise mentioned mindsets and and, uh, uh, Serge mentioned responding to data. I, I think we shouldn't underestimate the power of the price mechanism here. Um, and, and I wonder to what extent we, we can uh, substitute the price mechanism for an awful lot of the data collection. Because if one looks here in Europe, the European Commission is going to bring in emissions trading for trucking, ES, ETS2 it's called, right? But But they're not going to be asking the individual carriers to report their emissions and then charge them on that basis. The price mechanism will be further back up the supply chain. It will be the suppliers of the fuel who will have to provide it, right? Now, the haulage industry everywhere in the world, intensely competitive, lots of small operators working on very slim margins. Therefore, the price mechanism, it seems to me, is going to exert a lot of leverage in this sector because of the lack of financial slack, if you like. So I I just wonder to what extent, if we relied more heavily on the price mechanism, it would take some of the pressure off us to collect all the emissions, given all the complexities and the problems that have been discussed earlier in this uh, this podcast. But going back to your question, I mean, how do we operationalize all of this? Um, Again, there are the five sets of initiatives you can take to cut carbon emissions um, from a, a logistics or transport operation. First of all, you try to reduce the demand. You can reduce vehicle kilometers, um, maybe by improving vehicle routing. Louise mentioned modal shift. Again, getting more freight onto lower carbon modes has been shown to be a, an effective way of doing it. The third is just fill vehicle capacity more effectively, reduce the empty running. Um, fifth is to improve the energy efficiency of the operation. And then the sixth um, is then to switch to lower carbon fuels, to essentially defossilize um, the transport sector. Um, and, and I think when considering these five sets of initiatives, you've also got to consider the implementation time, because a lot of people these days are preoccupied with switching from diesel to battery or hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. But we have to concede that is a longer term development you know, many of the big truck manufacturers are only now beginning to ramp up their production of low carbon vehicles. Here in Europe, it takes about 17 years to replace the truck fleet, right? So, um, but if we're looking at the ambitious carbon reduction targets we have for 2030, we have to be pulling very aggressively a lot of these other levers. Um, and that's where I think we should be focusing on modal shift, as Louise said. Um, 
improving vehicle capacity utilization um, and also improving uh, the energy efficiency of vehicles. There was a study done just last year estimating, I think there's still a potential to improve the energy efficiency of trucking in Europe by between 25 and 30% between now and 2030. These are the things, many of which have a fairly low carbon mitigation cost, but the beauty is we can implement them quickly to get on that right trajectory to getting deep reductions in transport emissions. If, if I may jump in at that point uh, to bring a few detailed numbers on what we see in, in, in the different decarbonizing efforts, just as, as a general approach. Uh, in these so-called short-term abatement solutions, which are absolutely needed and also uh, would allow us to get rid of, of a 30% plus of greenhouse gas emissions, which would stay in the atmosphere if we don't act fast, uh, we see, as, as Ellen said, uh, operational optimization, like educating drivers in itself can have an effect of up to 10% of carbon emission reduction and cost reduction in parallel. Uh, and uh, then you have some, some uh, tools to improve the dynamics uh, of, the, of the aerodynamics of the truck or the rolling factor of the tires can also bring a few percent. Uh, route optimization and load building, which can be both on the table of the shipper and of the carrier, depends on how they uh, work together, can bring up to 10%, uh, as we see from the industry. Uh, Real-time visibility, you might have heard about this concept of physical internet. Uh, this is more or less the, the, the commercial implementation of the same idea. Real-time visibility can help to reduce empty mile reduction, to reduce empty miles. We have globally more than 20% uh, empty miles in some businesses up to 100%. And uh, in parallel, you can reduce idling and demurrage. So only reduce reduction of empty mileage, in theory, can reduce the carbon footprint by almost 20%. Is it realistic that we reduce it completely? No. So I would say as a best estimate, realistically, we could save some 10, 10%, which is half of the total. Uh, integration of intermodal traffic, as Ellen said, and also Luis referred to, we see that uh, intermodal traffic on average uh, is reducing the carbon footprint by something like 65%. It depends, of course, can be more or less, but on average, some 65%. Intermodal traffic and also rail traffic suffer because it, there is a lack of integration in the end-to-end -end supply chain, which we have to take up separately. And then there are a couple of tools fostering horizontal collaboration. Uh, not necessarily just between two parties, but between in, in an entire network. And this is, a, again, a model shift issue. People are try to get stuck uh, in their problems on their own rather than uh, sorting the problems together by collaboration. Same thing, a little bit as same thing as, as Luis said before. So that's a, a, a bit an overview. And yes, we also do have low emission of, uh, vehicles and even zero emission vehicles already uh, in place today, which can work with the existing infrastructure or mostly with the existing infrastructure. A big uh, soft drink uh, producer uh, uh, seated in Atlanta uh, is uh, currently trying to invest in uh, bio-LNG plants in Italy, for example, 
to get the uh, uh, carbon footprint under control. And for that company, it makes a lot of sense, but it, it shows in parallel where the problem is. So there will be maybe a fight on zero emission fuel and low emission fuel very soon between the companies which won't, again, adhere to their own science-based reduction targets. Uh, thank you for all of that, guys. I, we're running close on time. I'd love to summarize it with a bit of positivity for the listeners because we've talked about the challenges ahead, the what, the why, the how of the green freight transition. What is one le- a closing thought you would leave with our listeners that they could take with them? Maybe it's a minute or maybe it's three words. To each of your stakeholders, what would you say about the effort they can put in over the next 18 months to move the ball down the field? I have to say, I find it hard to be positive on the subject of decarbonization these days because there, there are so many trends going in the wrong direction. However, I'll, I'll do my best to be a bit more positive. There are a number of corporate initiatives which I think are gathering momentum and can have a significant effect. One I will mention um, is the Sustainable Freight Buyers Alliance uh, set up by the Smart Freight Centre, launched at COP26, um, which more and more companies are joining, realizing that the procurement of logistics services um, can be can act as a catalyst for getting companies to, to decarbonize. Um, so that that's uh, so any company that's um, looking for um, a, a new initiative, that's one I would draw to their to their attention. And um, there's also the um, First Movers Alliance. Again, I think that emerged um, from from COP. Uh, where you get um, a, a, an expanding number of companies that are, are willing to support the more capital-intensive uh, forms of logistics decarbonization uh, because it's going to be hugely expensive, you know, transforming our truck fleet, for example, from diesel to battery and, and power. And, and, and companies doing that will have to have some confidence that they're going to get enough business in the future to recoup the investment they've made in these vehicles. Um, so th- th- this, both these things, I think, are directed very much at the big corporations across different sectors. Um, and, and if they wield their sort of corporate and financial muscle here, I think they'll be able to push the decarbonization of freight in the right direction. So that's quite positive, right? <laughs> that was great, Alan. Thank you. Louise, how would you, you end this conversation with a, a plea to the listeners to further the, the movement towards green freight? I, I don't have a problem to be uh, optimistic. I'm uh, quite a positive person myself, but when I do see what, what's not happening at a global uh, scale, I mean, you do you do get the feeling, okay, we need to step up our game. And what I would uh, leave the audience with is do what you can now, but prepare for, for what's coming. Um, make sure you have your eyes on uh, climate neutrality. Uh, and I think that's the most important uh, aspect at this moment. Everything and every action you do now, make sure that it all combines towards that path uh, towards climate neutrality. So that would be from my side uh, an ending for our uh, listeners. Thank you. I agree completely. Serge, what about you? Let me give a five-step advice to as a predict- uh, practitioner to those who want to take it up. Uh, point number one, uh, see that you get a proper baseline. And how, how to get a proper baseline, choose an existing tool. Try Don't try to invent the wheel one more time. Choose an existing tool which can digest the new ISO norm and is prepared to work with primary data. The second step is commit yourself uh, to science-based targets. The third step is identify your potentials using this tool. And uh, the fourth step is see that you onboard your suppliers. If you're uh, an LSP, uh, you talk to your carriers. 
If you're a shipper, you talk to your LSPs and so on. And number five is just execute it. I love it. Leaving with a call to action. We could go on for hours and days maybe about this conversation. I appreciate each of your time and patience and perspective. And maybe we'll have to turn this into a series and come back. And as Luis said, maybe we'll have some optimistic emissions reductions that we can report in the next year or so. But thank you all for sharing your your expertise. And I hope you have a great day.